Welcome to Tarot for the End of Times, a podcast where we utilize the tarot as a tool to navigate through epochs of deep change. My name is Sarah Cargill. I'm an artist, cultural worker, and your host throughout the duration of this series. In each episode, I'll take a look at the archetypal figures presented in the Major Arcana cards from the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck to discuss what each card has to say about navigating through cycles of change, chaos, and instability. Throughout each episode, I'll offer reflection questions and suggestions for exercises that might support you in inviting the energy and wisdom of these archetypes into your daily life and practice. If you'd like to support this podcast and the person who makes it, you can make a monthly donation through my page on anchor.fm. Your generous act of community care and reciprocity helps me to access the resources I need to make projects like this possible and sustainable. You can also support this work by sharing this podcast with your friends and loved ones, and most importantly, by tuning in. Thanks for joining me. The Hermit, governed by the energy of Virgo, anchors his solitude in a reliable routine. After a day of juggling extensive study and deep rest, he emerges from his modest dwelling perched upon a peak far, far away to take his nightly walk. Not wanting to see or be seen by others, he sets his routine according to the natural crescendo of silence that punctuates the end of another day. Finishing the last bits of herbal tea left over from the afternoon, he wraps himself in a gray hooded robe to protect himself from the elements. Wind and cold, of course, but also prying eyes and praying spirits. He lifts his lantern, illuminated by the glow of a six-pointed star, the Seal of Solomon, for good measure. One can never be too certain about the spirits that accompany us from the other side of the veil. Practical and protective, the glowing seal offers a spiritual cover while illuminating the way forward. A blanket of fresh snow draped across a vast landscape of mountainous terrain muffles the chatter of creatures who burrow icy paws and snouts beneath inches of snow in search of hidden rations of nuts and plants saved for midwinter. Always a respectful guest, the hermit announces his presence to the woods with the tender crunch of ginger footsteps that pepper the ground with fresh tracks. In search of night-blooming plant medicine, he glides through bare, slender trees that form a porous maze stretching across the expanse. With each flower he tucks away in drooping sleeves, he scatters a handful of sunflower seeds and almonds along the base of trees and in hollowed logs where the smallest of creatures take refuge. An offering of reciprocity, an acknowledgement of relationships that still require tending even during periods of solitude. The hermit, bewitched by the fragrances, textures, and sounds of the night, lifts his head to gaze upon the angle of the moon. With a subtle shift of the light, she offers a gentle nudge to encourage transition. It's time to head home for another pot of tea, she says. 
The hermit nods in agreement, scatters what remains of his offering, and makes his way back home. In his book, The Sovereignty of Quiet, Dr. Kevin Kwashi makes a case for reframing public discourse on Blackness and Black culture from being a politicized idea or metaphor and instead urges readers to turn their attention toward the humanity of Black people by examining Black cultural expression through the ethical and aesthetic lens of quiet. He defines quiet as a dynamic internal expressiveness that reconfigures our approach to, as well as our understanding and prioritization of resistance narratives as being the primary narrative that contextualizes Black cultural expression and historicity. Quiet is a fleeting, mundane, and utterly ordinary expression of an interiority that is shaped and informed by the state of watcherlessness, of being without an audience. This is the quality of solitude that the hermit embodies. What you do in private matters. The archetype and energy of Virgo governs the digestive system and places great importance on medicine, healing, and the work it takes to bring those things into alignment. When Virgo energy manages to loosen itself from the grip of a mercurial mind, its expression is quite earthy. Virgos like to tinker. What makes their curiosity so characteristic is that they not only take interest in the medicine that nature has to offer, but also the mechanics of this earthly magic. They want to know how and why things work in the way that they do, taking pleasure in the small, quiet discoveries. In solitude, they learn that quiet offers an opportunity to either pick one's poison or choose one's medicine. The hermit, encourages us to turn towards the latter. A couple of years ago, I believe it was 2014, maybe 2013, I had the pleasure of taking a plant medicine class in Oakland with a radiant and heart-powered community herbalist named Alokin Orton-Chung. When I think about folks in the community who radiate big empress energy, their image immediately comes to mind. For locals who are interested, their practice is called Shooting Star Botanicals, and though they are not my herbalist, their medicinal products, knowledge, and presence are certainly treasured within the broader Bay Area QTPOC communities. At the time, I was undergoing a painfully necessary homecoming, both to the geographical place that I call home and to the home that is my body and my somatic experience. Elokin's class was such a balm. From the plants to the gathering to the shared knowledge, I received so much medicine that day, some of which I'd like to pass along to you all in this episode. During their workshop, I learned that the strongest medicine often comes from plants that have weathered tough times. Times of drought, 
scarcity, and other extremities create the conditions for medicine that is concentrated, filled with more story, purpose, and power. At a time when I felt incredibly isolated in my struggle and experience, this little factoid was the kernel of hope that I needed to trust the process. It was affirming to reframe my experiences as episodic opportunities to learn about, cultivate, and distill my medicine. It was what I needed to hear to reconfigure my relationship to aloneness, to transmute my existential longing to be held and understood by others to a deep connection with myself. The archetype of the hermit reminds us that the difference between loneliness and solitude lies in the quality of connection that you choose to cultivate with yourself when no one is looking, even if it means being misunderstood by the world at large. If loneliness is the poison extracted from grief that brews in the gaps that separate us from the core of who we are, then solitude is the antidote that is unearthed when we decide to reach our hands deep into the dirt to connect with the root of the matter. Solitude distills and connects us to our essential parts and is a necessary stage of healing. When solitude is given the chance to work on and through us, our grief undergoes a different kind of alchemical process. Connection is what we need to distill grief into granules of truth or perspective or clarity for us to gather and use as the base for our own special medicine. It becomes a solute ready to be alchemized into something usable. Once we've gathered whatever truth, reframe, perspective, or understanding that our grief is trying to offer in its own language, Solitude can then be worked to act as a solvent. And taking it back to 10th grade chemistry, what happens when we combine a solute with the solvent? Well, we get a damn solution. Hallelujah, amen, ashe. <laughs> it is through this process that the hermit teaches us the distinction between solitude and isolation. The hermit is represented by the number nine, which within the context of the tarot, indicates a pivotal point, the beginning of the end of a cycle. If the numerology of the strength card calls upon us to activate our endurance and to pull out whatever fight we have left in us to keep going, then the hermit card is here to offer some spiritual Gatorade to get us to the finish line. The energy of the number nine is, to me, characterized by momentum. It's energy that offers the kind of reprieve that comes from being almost there, that last burst of energy that propels you forward as you approach another milestone or turning point. It's a moment to take a breath to acknowledge or admire how far you've come, as well as a moment to assess where your choices have shaped your reality. When we begin to see the proverbial midway line, it's natural to look back and look forward, comparing how far we've come with how much further we have to go. It's in that in-between space where hope 
and confidence, however fleeting, is regenerated, offering just enough fuel to cross the threshold to the next phase. So let's build some context around the numerology of the Hermit card by doing just that. The archetypal energy of the Strength card marks the point in the Fool's journey where the journeyer must decide whether or not it's time to turn back. The Strength card often comes into our lives to help us uncover what we're made of and to clarify what we're willing to endure, spend, protect, relinquish, or transform for the things and people who are important to us. The Hermit card holds the cumulative lessons harvested by the Strength card, reworking the fruits of our labor into a unique blend of our personal medicine. Medicine that you wouldn't have, that the world wouldn't have, if you had decided to disengage from those moments of reckoning that called forth every ounce of your strength. Therefore, when the Hermit card appears, it's an invitation to remove yourself from the noise of the public world, to retreat into your private world, where you can take a breath to reflect analyze, listen, and also heal and recover. If that is unavailable or inaccessible to you at this moment, the Hermit card can also indicate that you are ready to cultivate your interior landscape with the support of a mentor. When the student is ready to learn, the teacher will appear. So who would you like to learn from? There is also wisdom to be found in how the Hermit speaks to the card that follows, the Wheel of Fortune. We'll get to know this card in the next episode, but for now, I'll say that it often represents a karmic turning point in your life. However, unlike the World card, which also speaks to major turning points, accumulations, and endings, the Wheel of Fortune specifically deals with karmic cycles. So what the fuck is a karmic cycle? Karmic cycles can be described as the situational, relational, and energetic patterns that we perpetuate and repeat, often without much awareness or intention, through choices and actions, or inaction, that stem from unaddressed or unconscious wounds. Similarly to how a therapist might point out the childhood wounding that you're trying to unconsciously resolve by repeating similarly harmful scenarios in your adult life, the Wheel of Fortune often appears to reveal the karmic cycles you may be breaking or repeating. When I analyze the chronology of the major arcana, Placing the Hermit just before the Wheel of Fortune offers the space to look inward and deal with your karmic buildup before it deals with you. Therefore, the Hermit, carrying the numerological energy of the number nine, as well as the mercurial energy of Virgo, asks us to sit within the privacy of our inner garden to take inventory of every earthworm, beetle, and crow that contributes to its ecological health, as well as the gum wrappers, roaches, and chippy bags that need to be collected and disposed of. 
Lastly, when examining the Hermit card alongside the Wheel of Fortune, I think about the ways in which our relationship to our unique medicine is often entangled with our core wounds that perpetuate karmic cycles. Now, as I talk about karmic cycles, I want to be absolutely clear about three things that I firmly believe at this moment in my life. First, I do not, quote, call in or attract or deserve the abuse or toxicity that I've survived. That was not my fault. Second, while I'm not responsible for how someone chooses to treat me, I am responsible for my own healing and learning how to protect my energy from said people. Third, it takes more than one person to participate in a toxic dynamic. I facilitate my healing and take back my power when I acknowledge and own the roles that I've played within them. And so, when I speak about karmic cycles, what I'm really trying to lean into is that third belief that I am responsible for my energy, attention, magic, and intention, and how I choose to shape it within the context of my day-to-day life and apply it towards my self-reflection practice. Both the devil and the medicine are in the details, and the difference between medicine and poison is in its dosage and application. The Hermit card asks us to use our quiet time to gain a certain level of comfort and skill with our unique blend of medicine by alchemizing the lessons of our old wounds and karmic cycles into something that can support the next stage of our lives. In the spirit of preventative care, the archetype of the hermit calls upon us to figure out how to distill, dose, and apply the medicine we've extracted from our most challenging, persistent, and revealing patterns so that we're not doomed to repeat or to be bound by those karmic cycles. This is, for me, how I would characterize a Virgo's love language. When the hermit appears upright in your spread, your time and energy will be best spent in solitude, working quietly, privately, behind the scenes, in preparation for the next season. Virgo, being a mutable earth sign, is remarkably dexterous with integrating new information into the present moment. They aren't afraid of new information, discoveries, and perspectives that challenge their core beliefs and understanding of the world because at the root of their analysis lies a deep sense of humility. The hermit invites you to streamline your review process without compromising depth and to cultivate strategic flexibility that gives space for the inevitable, human error, and well, change. What have you gathered over this last little while? What needs to be reviewed and integrated at this time? What kernels of wisdom float to the surface as you examine the story that your habits reveal? Place your palms on the fault lines etched into your everyday experience and sense the change that's coming your way. Is your foundation solid enough to survive another earthquake? Or is it time to retrofit your shit? When the hermit card appears in the reverse position, it's time to emerge from your secret hiding spot and reintegrate with the world around you. 
it may also be a time to re-examine the quality and purpose of your solitude. Again, solitude carries a different affective quality than loneliness or isolation. When we learn to enjoy our own company, we can cultivate and share our medicine with a clear purpose and a clear heart. When solitude begins to take on a sour note and you find yourself stuck in the muck of shame and disproportionate self-critique, the hermit in reverse invites you to soften your gaze on the parts of yourself that you are afraid to share with the rest of the world. Perfection is not the medicine, dear one. We need you, all of you, to show up, for your medicine is tucked in the small crevice between your contradictions, in the grace and newfound understanding you find between your most memorable fuck-ups and cringy missteps. As we come to a close, I invite you to make yourself available to the richness of your own company to incorporate rest as a part of your routine and mode of resistance, to show up for yourself as readily as you might show up for others, and to consider where your medicine is most needed. May your solitude reveal to you just how needed you are in this world and in the grand unfolding that we call change. Thanks for listening.